say crime doesn't pay. That's mostly true, unless you happen to be a writer who makes a living writing murder mysteries. And what do you know? We happen to have two of those kinds of authors this week. This is Chapter 195 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. I'm Lisa Cherenkovich, and coming up, I chat with crime fighter turned crime writer Isabella Maldonado, who can count J-Lo among her fans. Then, Laurel K. Hamilton gives us a crash course in angels and why we should really be listening to what the universe is trying to tell us. One of the most common pieces of writing advice is to write what you know. And author Isabella Maldonado knows crime. She spent more than two decades in law enforcement before trying her hand at writing crime fiction. Her latest book is A Different Dawn. It's the second in the FBI Special Agent Nina Guerrera series. But don't worry if you haven't read the first book. Confession time. I didn't read The Cipher, which is the first book in the series. And I thoroughly enjoyed this latest one as a standalone. I'm going to bet you will too. I asked Isabella to set up the story for us. In this story, she is part of a hybrid team of investigators with the FBI. It doesn't actually exist in real life, but it's a team that um, was created using some FBI profilers, a cybercrime specialist, and a field, a field agent as a hybrid group to investigate crime. And so they are called in. And there are two cases on different sides of the country and four years apart. And these are very unusual cases, so unusual that um, they are tasked with seeing if they might be related to each other. And it turns out they are. An epic cat and mouse game ensues. Yes, yes. As as I like to say, merriment ensues. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But the the cases are so bizarre, um, they get caught up in, um, it's it's called VICAP. It's the Violent Criminal um, Apprehension Program. And it's a a nationwide database that is run by the FBI that all the law enforcement agencies across the country, they input data about cases into the VICAP program, and it'll flag things where there are commonalities in crime. And this is a real program. This actually does exist. And the reason behind it, it started a long time ago because criminals were being able to go from like one state to another or even one jurisdiction to another within state. And they were getting away with it because there was no central clearinghouse of information. And so the database was designed and is maintained by the FBI just specifically to catch cases like the one that I describe in A Different Dawn. For those people who don't know, you've spent over two decades as a a law enforcement officer, and that's probably one of those details, that VICAP detail is one of those things that you've probably encountered in your years of work that's made its way into your writing. I like the fact that I can draw on my own law enforcement background to bring a realistic edge to my writing. The idea that I can put in some of these details And the other thing, too, that I like to do in in my writing, because I have a background in law enforcement, is other people can research things and they can do it. But I like to be able to describe how it feels to be in that situation, how it feels to, you know, to be in a a foot chase, a foot pursuit when you're you're running after someone, how it feels to be in a high-speed pursuit in a vehicle, 
how it feels um, to have a gun drawn or pointed at you, how it feels to be the only woman on your squad, um, how it feels to give a death notification where you have to tell someone that a loved one has died, how it feels to discover a dead body, you know, and, and to bring in the actual what the officer or detective or in this case, the agent, what, it, what, it, what they're feeling and experiencing on the inside, um, as well as all of the sensations of that, the smell, the touch, the sights, the sounds, everything that goes into it, I like to bring that onto the page so that the reader can get a richer experience of what it really is like to do it. I think one of the big feels, if you will, in this book is the sense of belonging to a team and acknowledging that even if you can't see them, they're there and they have your back and what it's like to learn to trust people that you don't really know too well, but you have to put your life in their hands. That is absolutely true. And, and that is the case in law enforcement. Um, starting off as a patrol officer, um, it's like you have to learn that you could end up showing up at the scene of something and depending on where it occurs within the jurisdiction that you're, that you're in, you could end up showing up with someone that you don't even know and you've never even seen before. But you have to rely on your, your, your training to understand that you can expect they're going to act in a certain way. You're going to act, act in a certain way. But you do have to trust them. It is a little bit like leaping without knowing if the net is there or not. And you do at various occasions find that you have to put your life in someone else's hands. It's a very humbling and very difficult thing to do, but it is something that, um, that you have to, you're forced to, you can't do your job without it. Now you've written two series. This one, um, this new one features FBI special agent, Nina Guerrera. You've had the Veranda Cruz mm -hmm. series. I'm sure you're asked this all the time because you're a Latina who has worked in law enforcement, but are either of these characters like you at all? I explain it this way in that I, I sort of, I know each of them. I know them. I understand them. I know where they're coming from, but they are not me. I have a different outlook, a different law enforcement experience than either one of them has. And um, their, their background that I created for them shapes them. They are different from each other. You know, they're, they're both Latinas in law enforcement, but they have a, you know, different personalities and, and they were shaped by their, by their background. And the same is true of me. So um, they are fictional characters that I did create out of my mind. <laughs> I'll put it that way. So not only is A Different Dawn a great crime story, and I know we've, we've, we really haven't gotten into the details of the, of the story itself because it's just so mm -hmm. much fun to discover them along the way. Even just saying, like, when these murders occur, I don't even want to say that because that's such an <laughs> enjoyable part. We'll just say it's every four years and maybe people can extrapolate from that. But, you know, you've <laughs> yeah. also woven some Mexican folklore into this story, mm -hmm. which I think is really kind of cool. What led you to do that? That story is always there. It's sort of, it's sort of a, a cultural thing. And, and one of the interesting things about that story is that it is there in a variety of different um, Latin cultures. It's not just Mexico. Um, I've had readers, you know, from uh, Costa Rica, Panama, um, 
other places, Puerto Rico, whatever, uh, you know, write in and tell me, oh, my gosh, I heard that story when I was growing up. You know, it's, it's, a, it's very it's a widespread tale that that many people have heard growing up in particular. And so I I like the idea of, co- of sort of drawing on that. But also, um, to me, it's imagining, again, that was just using my imagination to think of where the story originated and the sort of the, the tragic tale of La Llorona and how that woman would have felt and, and what she went through, the, the woman in the, in the myth or the folklore, and bringing that into sort of a modern-day situation and, and case and how that would play out. It's just, um, I don't know. I, I found it fascinating. I find that the folklore fascinating and wanted to use it in some way. I love that that particular story is always used to scare kids into uh, behaving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which really is so wrong, right? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Your kids are creepy. And, and actually, that's one of the reasons... Um, you know, in the story, you know, the, the story opens and it, it's, it's not anything, you know, it's not releasing anything to say that, you know, the story opens with sort of a recounting of that tale. And um, but later on, when Nina's talking to her fellow agents and she has to tell them the story because it's pertinent to the case. So she has to sort of, you know, give them like a summarized version of it. And I have one of her fellow agents, Agent Breck, is like, oh, my gosh, I, I can't believe that you grew up hearing that, you know, which is like a that, that's sort of the, the classic reaction that you would expect. What they were telling that to kids? Is that crazy? You know, but yeah, I, so. I feel like every culture has that one particular story that that you tell children to to keep them in line. I know I grew up hearing stories about Krampus, who's like this demon monster kind of being that comes around Christmas time to make sure you're behaving. Ah, uh, see? Yeah. Yeah. And well, and even Santa has a dark side if what, you get coal or something if you're <laughs> right. not good and um and then but a lot of the grim fairy tales, if you think about it, they're creepy. Hansel and Gretel, you can't get much creepier than Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> that is like the creepiest. You know, so yeah, if the fairy t- many cultures you're right have sort of folklores and fairy tales and things like that 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 are scary and we do expose children to that but the children seem you know in in the one hand they, they get scared but on the other hand they they it's kind of fun for them to be scared they like scary stories so yeah and, and then i guess the flip side is is we grow up and we end up reading books like yours which we all love to read because they're just so engrossing and it, it but also at, a, at at its core it's really a scary story that we all hope doesn't happen to us. Yes, that's very true. That is very true. I think that a lot of people do read crime fiction and they do it for a cathartic purpose where they feel like they have gone through this trauma with the, with the characters and they've come out on the other end and they feel a sense of relief that they have survived this. And, you know, People have written to me and they, and they talk about, you know, their heart was pounding, you know, during some of the scenes. And, and that is that, that cathartic. And then at the end, when there's an emotional release, you know, it is. You are, you are taking them on a journey. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to, um, to be able to do that. And I was, I was deeply touched uh, more than once. I've had people who were 
undergoing chemotherapy and they said they would take my books in there and they would read just to get them. And you're thinking, why would they want to read something stressful? But actually they, they felt like, you know, if Veranda could get through it or if Nina could get through it, they can get through what they're going through. They can have a journey. They can get through that. It was amazing to hear that. It really was. Now you're going to get to connect to people in a completely different way because I know that Jennifer Lopez is going to bring Agent Guerrero to life on Netflix. What does that feel like? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Talk about feelings. <laughs> yeah. Um, surreal is, is the feeling. I was really, um, really shocked when um, all of this interest, I mean, the book started getting this, um, the Cypher, which is the first book in the series started getting all this buzz before it was even published. Um, there were a couple of foreign rights deals and, you know, some coverage. And I, I was thinking, I was like, where is, I, I was just very surprised. I hadn't experienced that before. And then my agent uh, got a call not long after the book was published. The book was officially published on November 1st. And so not long after it was published, um, there was call from Hollywood and it was like, oh my gosh, um, there was interest on the part of a couple of different places in having the book and getting the rights to the book. And I was very surprised. And um, so my agent swung into action and, you know, uh, got another agent involved as well. And it was when I found out um, JLo's company, her production company, Eurekin Production is the name of her production company. They, they let us know that J-Lo was actually going to read the book. Just that was like the first thing they wanted to say is she's reading it now. So just the feeling that someone that, you know, whose very nickname is a household word is reading something you wrote that right off the bat was just amazing. I remember saying to my husband, I'm like, Jayla's reading my book. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, I hope she likes it. You know, well, it turns out she did like it a lot. And um, so then that's when she teamed up with Netflix and they brought an offer and they brought a strong one. So it was like their, you know, their vision of what to do and, and how to make it work. And they wanted it for like a feature film and Jayla wanted to star. And I thought, okay, um, this is amazing. And I think, you know, that's, that's the way to go. And so um, the announcement was made in December. So, I mean, the, the book came out, <clears throat> excuse me, November 1st, the announcement came out like in, in mid-December that the deal was done. And so it was really, it was really surprising. And, and one of those surreal moments is I actually looked back and my husband helped me do the, re do the research because I couldn't remember at first exactly when and where, you know. But I was in the audience in 2018 when J-Lo was performing at Planet Hollywood. I saw her in concert. My husband and I went together. We saw her in concert at Planet Hollywood. And I was watching her perform. And by the way, she puts on a great show. Loved watching her. Has, I'm a fan. And then, like two years later, to have to have her, you know, be be uh, getting the rights to star in this book to play a role that I created that wasn't even 
written back when I was sitting in the audience. It was just amazing. Very, very surreal moment. So, yeah. That is very cool. Any any clue as to when we may be able to watch it? Uh, um, no. I mean, I've I've talked to the screenwriters um, a couple of times. Um, I'm I'm a consultant on the movie and an executive producer as well. So you know, I've I've but they're just at that at that point now. You know, it's kind of because they have to do a do a screenplay. You know, they can't just take the book. So. That that takes time, um, but I imagine you know it won't be until next year that they would even start shooting. So we we shall see. But um, I don't think that they're going to waste any time. I, I get the sense that they they want this to happen. I mean, J Lo herself has has tweeted about it um, about that. You know, she can't wait. And she's excited for the cipher. So that's cool. So she's you know I I don't think they're gonna they're going to delay, you know, but she's busy. There's a lot of things going on. So um, she has a full slate of, uh, of work to do. So, but I, I think it'll be in there. I hope so very soon. Uh, that all that means is that we've got enough time and re- of readers who are listening to us have enough time to go pick up the cipher and read that they can pick up a different yep. Dawn and, and get themselves all cut up, caught up on <laughs> Nina's story. Isabella That's Maldonado. True. Thank you for your time today. And it was really a pleasure. You could say author Laurel K. Hamilton likes to keep busy. Already the best-selling writer of two successful and ongoing fantasy-slash-crime fiction series, she's recently released the first book in a brand new series. A Terrible Fall of Angels introduces us to a detective and angel expert who, along with a team of other gifted law enforcement officers, investigates supernatural-related crimes. But how the story came to be is almost as good as the book itself. Take a listen. I hear you had the first line of this book written for at least the last decade. Uh, yeah, almost 10 years. I had the first line of the book uh, on a sticky note. It came out of nowhere. I don't know why. Everybody says, well, where did it come from? I really don't know. That wonderful, magical thing we call the muse. I put it up on my wall on a sticky note, and there it sat. Since it's the first line of the book, I think I can share it. Uh, <laughs> There were angel feathers in the dead woman's bed. I thought, what a great first line. And I thought it was a short story. It would take me a few years to realize, no, no, it's a book. And not only a book, the start of a new series. I know, I know. (laughs) I'm going three series at once. Hmm, let me see. But (laughs) it's how I think. I think in large, I I think in big worlds with with series storylines. I love it. Your world building is amazing. And I have to ask, have you always found angels and their hierarchy something that's just fascinated you? Uh, no, actually, I haven't. I'm, I've never been a big angel affianato or any of that, really, which is really, I know people keep asking. But once I put that line up on the sticky note wall in my office, I then started collecting books and started doing research because I know myself. If I put something up and I go, huh, that's really cool, I better start now. <laughs> I better start collecting books. So I now have probably almost every book on angels that I could find. I have a stack of research that is taller than my waist because I researched not just angels, but I researched uh, biblical scholarship and, uh, you know, just ancient, ancient texts, anything I could find, anything I could find that I thought would 
would be related. As someone who read the book, that research definitely comes through because there were things in there that were really cool. And also, I kind of knew you probably pulled them from from someone said it somewhere, but it's also still kind of crazy. So I guess for people <laughs> who aren't like totally familiar, there are levels of angels. Yes. Oh, yes, there are. There's an angelic hierarchy. There's also a hierarchy in hell as well. Um and one of the interesting things in my research on, on the angelic is that who is fallen and who is not, it depends on which text you're reading on who's on what list. Some, some angels are always, are always on the side of, side of the good, the side of heaven, uh, like Michael and Gabriel and Raphael and Uriel. But uh, once you leave, leave the ones that we're more familiar with, some names— are in the higher levels of he- of heaven. Others are supposed to be ruling in hell, and it depends on which list. Mm. So I have in the future as I continue the series, I'll have to be careful who I pick because not everybody's not not everybody agrees of where they are. But that creates such fun tension for a book, right? It can, and we will definitely be seeing uh, some of the fallen. We will definitely see some of the fallen on stage at some point, but. It was just fascinating to me because I did know that there was a hierarchy of angels. But what I didn't know is how many people disagree, even scholars who've spent uh, lifetimes studying them, the, where everybody is. And uh, the more modern take on angels, uh, it's more guardian angels that people have uh, written about for the modern day. Uh, are that spark of divinity that we have at with us from the beginning and throughout our life. While angels get uh, a lot of attention in your story, the police unit that you've created, you call it the metaphysical coordination unit, just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Fe- also features not only someone who's able to communicate with angels or whom through angels talk through him, a powerful witch, you've got a voodoo priest, you have mm-hmm. others who are just gifted with sensing things that other people can't. And here they all are working together to fight evil despite their, their different beliefs. And I can't help but think that you're trying to tell us something. You know, yes, the angels don't care. As long as you're a good person, the angels don't care. The angels don't take sides. They are just a good, positive energy. And as long as you're a good person, they don't care about your personal beliefs. They are not a, they are not a member of any faith. And I think that that's the message. That if you're a good, decent person, as long as we all agree to be good, decent people, it doesn't matter exactly what your beliefs are. And that's something you play with in this book and you've played in your other books as well, is kind of like, who's the real monster here? Is it the, is it the classic creatures we always think of monsters or is it something else? That is very true. Uh, over the years, I've done true crime research. And one of the things I've found again and again is that uh, some of the most ordinary people that on the outside look good end up being monsters. So, and some of the more unusual people that you wouldn't pick out to be the good Samaritan uh, actually are the good guys. Don't judge by the packaging. Don't judge by the exterior because you don't know what's inside. That has always been a message for me. And it was very, it was very interesting writing someone who is six three and male rather than 5'3 and female, or 5 foot and female, because when he walks into a room, everybody assumes in an emergency he could handle himself. 
And it was very interesting to realize that as a woman in male-dominated fields, that one of the reasons you have to, I had to keep proving myself, and indeed had to keep proving yourself, is because we look like we might not be able to handle emergency. The same is true of, of men of smaller stature. It, really, it was really interesting looking at the world through physical eyes that were very different and realizing that a lot of things that I blamed on sexism really is more based on size and strength perception. It's literally in an emergency. Who do you want to lift that car off of you? Well, someone who's 6'3 and big or someone who's 5'3 and not so big. Who do you think is going to be able to lift the car? And you're talking about so, your main detective, Zaniel uh, Zan- Zan- Havelock. Zaniel. Zaniel. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, the angel names, thank you for putting in like where the emphasis is on the names, because some of them I were reading them <laughs> wrong in my head. And then when you mentioned how they should be said, I'm like, okay, now I got it. <laughs> on, the, on most of the angelic names, the E-L on the end, all names that have E-L on the end and that are uh, from angel or Bible, they all, L means God. So this is, so it's very, it helps me help spell them, to be honest. <laughs> I always know what the end is. And this and, and and just to get back to to what you were saying, this is the first time you've written from a, a male character's perspective, the, the main narrative, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, I was strangely intimidated by that. You know, it's this is my 41st novel, but it's the first time writing from a male perspective. And we complain about male writers getting female characters wrong. Well, I thought, you know, foot, the foot is on the other, the shoe is on the other foot here. And I spent quite a bit, one of the reasons I didn't write it sooner was I was wanting to make sure I could get the male perspective right. And that Zaniel would sound like himself, like he was a guy, not, uh, not being written by somebody who doesn't know what that is. I appreciate you taking the time to do that. I'm sure your, your readers will as well. And I love the cast characters that you've surrounded him with. They're all so strong in their own ways, no matter you were saying earlier, like their size, their stature, um, how they're sexually oriented or, you mm-hmm. know, whether they can, whether they have gifts, whether they don't have gifts. It's just, it's a, it's a great cast of people and a great supporting crew for him. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, one of the ways I know that I've got the main viewpoint voice of, of a series is when the voice of the main character is right, then the secondary cast just gathers around them and they're good. Uh, until I get the voice of the main character, the other characters that kind of interact with them, there's no spark. And the, once I had Daniel's voice down, then all these other wonderful characters came up and started talking and interacting with them. It was, it was, I knew then I had the voice. There's a particular exchange of the book. It's kind of like um, aside from the main plot, which it is a murder mystery. They're trying to find someone who's responsible for inflicting awful harm on a set of women. And they're yeah. they're, they're, they're discussing um, personal spirits and totems and, and whether people have them and whether people don't have them and, and what they're created and what they're there for. And the reason I bring it up is because as I was reading your book, I happened to be walking to work before dawn because that's what happens in the news business. And this being <laughs> New York City, there there were rats scurrying around. And mm-hmm. I started walking down the sidewalk and the rats, I started stomping my feet because I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to walk through rats. And there was this one rat that just sat there in the middle of the sidewalk and would not move. And I thought, nope, I'm not dealing with this today. 
and I turned around and I walked the other way. And you basically had that line for line in your book during this discussion saying, sometimes there's a rat that's just staying there that's not going to move to protect you. Yeah. And goes, don't go this way. So I'm never going to look at New York City rats the same way again. But also, I guess that's my long-winded way of asking, you must really believe in the power of these kinds of spirits, totems, and just forces in the universe. I'm Wiccan. I'm I'm a witch, a practicing witch. I have been for uh, 20 years. In a, over 20 years now. So, yes, I do believe in uh, personal totems. And I'm also a biologist. I call it a non-practicing biologist because I have the degree, but I don't make my living at it. I never have. So, for me, you walk through the natural world. It is alive around you. And, you know, deity is always trying to communicate with us. We just have to notice. I believe sincerely that deity wants us to have the best life we can to be the best person we are. That doesn't mean that only good things happen to us, but it does mean that that there are signs around us that deity is trying to, you know, the rat stands up and says, don't go down here. Just don't. Um, I do believe that if we pay attention, that, that God is trying to talk to us all the time. But we most people just ignore it. They, they just don't notice. I, for one, am a little bit more open after reading this book, which I wouldn't expect from a book that's like a, a cop procedural so thank you. <laughs> no, it's it's really kind of fun. You would never expect you picked up a book and totally come out of it with a different kind of mindset. So I guess in the short time that I have left, I want to ask, when can we expect the next installment? I do not know. I'll be honest. Um, I would love to say as soon as possible, but I am writing on the next book in the Nita Blake. So that's next year for sure. If not next year, then the year after. You are a busy, so. busy woman. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, I am. But I, I have so many stories to tell, and I, I just want to share the stories. Um, one of the reasons, I think if I'd written the, A Terrible Fall of Angels when I originally had the idea, it would have been a darker book. I think everything that's happened, I think we all need, we all need some angels in our lives right now. I think we all do. And to know that they're there and that we need to notice and pay attention to things around us and that there is the universe and indeed they're trying to talk to us all the time and they really do want the best for us. And I guess that inspired the the dedication at the beginning of your book too. Absolutely. Which I'll, Absolutely. I'll know for people is dedicated to everyone who's made the world a better place this last year when everything seemed lost. Yes. There have been so many heroes and not the ones you assume would be heroic. We've all learned how important jobs that we didn't think of as important are to our everyday life. We've all figured out how, even those of us who are introverts, how much we miss just interactions with strangers every day when you go into shops or go out on errands. We really have realized, I hope, how much we miss each other, how much we need each other through all this. And it's, Yes, there's been bad news, but there's also been really wonderful, heartwarming news of people reaching out to each other. We've been talking with Laurel K. Hamilton. Thank you so much for your time today. The new book is A Terrible Fall of Angels. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's been, a, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you so much. And that's where we close the book on this chapter. Next time, we chat with the one and only Lemony Snicket a.k.a. Daniel Handler, who has just published his first book for adults. 
Until then, you can always find us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Cherkovich. Mm-hmm.